goals you have, life has a way of putting up some obstacles in front of you. And, and a lot of people, and I think most people, when that happens, that's it. That's where the story ends. You know, they hit that first wall Mm -hmm. and they don't continue on. In reality, those success stories, I, I have yet to come across a success story. And I've worked with a lot of huge people over the years, Bill Gates included, Mark Cuban, and, and none of them had this easy path. Like there is, it is fraught with trouble and, and, and barriers and unexpected circumstances that you could never plan for. Life is an endless stream of challenges, but no worries. Manoj is bringing the world's best minds right here for you. My gosh, Manoj, you just blew my mind. Thank you, universe. Manoj, thank you. I'm so grateful. Makes me feel a little bit better. Thank you. Bootstrapping Your Dreams is here to give you what you need to succeed. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host, Manoj Agarwal, and today we'll be talking with Lee John Killingsworth. So Lee John is the uh, is the Coyote Ugly Saloon's chief marketing officer, retail officer, owner, and partner. The Coyote Ugly Saloon is a drinking establishment in United States and the inspiration for an international chain of bars known for its bartenders dancing on the bar. It was the setting of the 2000 film Coyote Ugly. It is one of the most well-known bars in the world, and it is, it is expected to be the first billion-dollar bar brand in history. Lee has contributed to the massive success of Coyote Ugly Saloon. He completely redesigned the website and got an increased traffic, get this, by 1,000%. Developed a sluggish retail program from the the ground up into a multi-million dollar revenue generator, as well as merchandise program that is constantly evolving and growing in revenue. Lee is a franchise location expert who finds new successful locations and approves franchise locations. He created and oversaw the global brand's marketing, commanding multi-million dollar advertising budgets. Lee also took complete creative control of the merchandise line from a single design to an entire product line with over 100 SKUs and assisted in the sale of merchandise in Target, Walmart, JCPenney, Spencer, just to name a few. What used to be a wor- what used to be worth a thousand dollars uh, in revenue per year a few thousand dollars in revenue per year is now worth millions he says lee has outstanding expertise in business and marketing he studied marketing business management at missouri state university and marketing business management at pittsburgh state university welcome lee thank you thank you it's quite a long introduction (laughs) well uh, i could have gone longer because you have so many success stories under your belt so let's start with that like how did you get into this line of work uh, let's go down the memory lane and uh, you know just talk about your life how did you uh, get to where you are today it was a very bizarre path i was never planning to go this route mm-hmm. growing up i thought i was going to be a professional hockey player that was my my only goal that's what everybody told me i was going to be i played two years above my age group in canada um, moving to California is, in high school, I started playing for national hockey teams. I played for state California team. I was on the Olympic track and got to uh, right there at the end and burned out. 
I, mm. I just burned out. I got injured in a, an exhibition game for a junior hockey team mm -hmm. and broke my collarbone and I never went back. I just burned mm. out. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't anticipate that happening. So I kind of was a little bit lost with that point. My father was a university professor. So I was like, I'll just go to college. So that's what I did. And while in college, I, um, a new sport called MMA developed and this new promotion called the UFC was created in the mid nineties. And I had been a martial artist my whole life, uh, as, as just a, I don't know if you want to call it a hobby, but it's just something I've been doing since eight years old, but I was really inspired by MMA and the UFC promotion. I had never seen anything like it. The whole world of martial arts had never seen anything like it. So I ended up moving to Cal to, to Las Vegas to be closer to the UFC promotion to get into it. And uh, at that time, there was there was really no money in it. There's no money in MMA. And I don't even know if you want to say there's even money in it now. But but that was my goal, to move to Vegas to get into the UFC. Uh, within a year, I was divorced, like everybody that moves to Vegas married. <laughs> and I, I ended up, I was working in the nightclub business at the time, like all MMA fighters do. We all work in the, in the nightlife business. You work as security because it affords you the ability to train during the day and you work at night. And you only have to work a couple nights a week to really cover your bills. It's a, it can be a pretty decent job if you're in the right place. And when my, my life kind of fell apart there, I was a little bit at a, at a crossroad. Right. I didn't know where I was going to go with my life. Now that I was divorced, I couldn't train and work like the way I needed to in order to make it to the UFC promotion. And this is in its infancy. You have to remember, like this, this started the mid 90s and I'm talking about 1997 right now. So there wasn't this whole infrastructure around that sport yet. So you were basically picking up fights at bars, these little promotions that were not sanctioned and stuff like that. And it took Chuck Liddell to be the first guy to even make a million dollars. And that's pretty low in the world of professional sports, right? And you're taking a lot of punishment. You're taking hits. You're, you're getting punched. You're getting kicked. You, um, I've broken both my hands multiple times. In fact, like there's the surgery scars. It took three surgeries mm -hmm. to fix this hand. Wow. Um, it, it, it's a hard life. You know what I mean? And the compensation, I don't know if it's there yet. But being that was a really low point of my life, working in the nightclub industry, I started seeing how you could manipulate an environment to change the emotional state of all the people within that those four walls. So I was able to shut out the outside world in the world of the nightlife industry. And I really became enamored with that. And I started working as a promoter and had a, a talent for getting people to walk through a very specific door to come party for a night. Mm -hmm. And I was able to harness that talent into working into some premier nightclubs in Las Vegas at the exact right time you needed to be in Las Vegas. So I moved out of 97. By 2002, entertainment, like nightclubs, restaurants, surpassed uh, uh gaming revenue for the first time ever in 2004 right so those moments between 1997 and 2002 were really important for not only the city of las vegas but for me and my development development within this industry there's about 30 people in las vegas that changed the whole city right there's 30 people that did that and i was one of those 30 people 
and I got to ride that wave. And I was doing events for Warner Brothers. We, I did an event that had a thousand people at it that were all A-list celebrities. I'd never seen anything like it. And, and it really started really getting to me and really getting passionate inspired by that industry. And I was running a 65,000 square foot venue. I was the nightclub operator and the liquor manager for the restaurant. It was partially owned by Warner Brothers and the majority partners were the company behind Planet Hollywood. So it was a company named Enoch and they developed the Planet Hollywood concept. And this concept was called Stage 16, Warner Brothers Stage 16 and the Velvet Lounge. And they were looking to recreate another Planet Hollywood. Now, 2001, 9-11 changed everything It changed the momentum of that company. We were supposed to open in Chicago that year and then we'd do another one in New York. But Las Vegas took such a hit monetarily after 9-11 that it didn't really recover for a year. And that stunted the, the expansion plan. I started to see the writing on the wall that this probably wasn't going to go where I needed it to go. But at the time, this little tiny 3,000 square foot bar opened in the New York, New York casino called Coyote Ugly. And of course, I had seen the movie, um, but I didn't even know at that time that it was a real bar. And the producers from the movie, Jen Worthington and a guy who was a fixture of the probably the number one guy that helped create the Vegas nightlife scene, a guy named Stevie D., I'm going to butcher his last name, Stevie Daviducci. I can't remember how to say his name. He's going to kill me next time I see him. But anyway, Stevie D was probably um, the biggest part of what created the Vegas nightlife scene that we see today. And he was a partner in that company. My GM, who was probably the most talented operator in this industry I've ever worked with, named Kenna Warner, went on to be the GM of the Coyote Ugly Saloon. And they were putting up $1.3 million a month out of 3,000 square feet. And they weren't even using all 3,000 of those square feet. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. So I started studying this concept. I ended up putting together a financial team, backer team. And I was going to be a franchise owner myself. I packed all my stuff into storage, put, put my car with all the clothes I could. And I slept on this guy's couch for four months putting this deal together in Fort Lauderdale, Florida only to have it fall apart at the finish line. Mm -hmm. They were the financial backers and through a, a crazy string of events, it just didn't end up happening. But I ended up developing a relationship with the founder, Liliana Lovell. And at that time she was um, exploding herself. The movie had just come out. She had all this interest in franchising. She had a small company out of New York at the time. She needed help. She needed help with expansion. She needed help with dealing with franchisees. So she gave me a shot as an opportunity as an outside consultant to kind of show her what I could do. And I helped her Dallas franchisee open their location, killed it, knocked it out of the park. Um, 2003, we were sitting in the Adams Marks Hotel and we're all sitting at a lobby table. There's three of us and one person on the phone, Jeff, the attorney partner back in New York. And we formed a company sitting right there in the Adams Mark lobby that is now responsible for everything that's happened ever since. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. It seems like, um, you know, every, every successful person I talk to, they have, they, they reach their success in a, in a zigzag manner, you know, uh, trying this and trying that, but never ever giving up, but always looking for opportunities. Yep. Will you say that these are the traits that sort of helped you get, get here? 
hundred percent because no matter what planning you put into place, no matter what goals you have, life has a way of putting up some obstacles in front of you. And, and a lot of people, and I think most people, when that happens, that's it. That's where the story ends. You know, they hit that first wall Mm -hmm. and they don't continue on. In reality, those success stories, I, I have yet to come across a success story. And I've worked with a lot of huge people over the years, Bill Gates included, Mark Cuban, and, and none of them had this easy path. Like there is, it is fraught with trouble and, and, and barriers and unexpected circumstances that you could never plan for. Like our original office was in the World Trade Center. Mm. My, my partner was in the building when the planes hit. Oh my goodness. That was moved it to New Orleans after that. And then a few years later, Katrina yeah, came yeah, yeah. And, and caused that. And, and most recently, COVID has been another struggle for people in our industry and constantly reminds me of this quote from Rocky that it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and still mm. move forward. Keep getting up. And that's something that always circles in the back of my mind yeah. because that's really the key to success is never. Absolutely. Getting. Absolutely. And I think um, the, the funny thing is um, as you're going through it is no fun. But when you when you have gone through it and you can look back, the stories become very entertaining. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, the, so it's a very of, entertaining concept to say the yeah. least. <laughs> speaking of entertaining, like, you know, uh, uh, when we met in Phoenix, like one thing that intrigued me about your interest in aliens. So I, I <laughs> promised you I will, I will bring that up. So let's talk about that. Like, how did yeah. you get into that? It's, it's a very, cause I, um, I, uh, you know, my background is science and technology. I've been fascinated with space since I was a kid. And um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic for me as well. So how did you get into that? Uh, I have very, so it's, uh, my parents are both educators, right? They're both educators everywhere from, from PK all the way up to my dad, who's a university professor, doctorate level professor. And so learning and science has always been just something that is very interesting to me, but I really, really find quantum physics very fascinating. Quantum mechanics, I I love it. So I I have a hobby of reading up on those subjects. And of course, alien life somehow comes crossing through into that. Um, Mathematically, you know, my, my interest in astrophysics mathematically there's just there is life in the universe there's just no way there isn't whether we've been visited by the that life is is up for debate who knows we'll see what this nasa probe um this nasa investigation you know yields but is definitely really interesting uh subject for me to to have a hobby really being interested in yeah yeah, yeah. i think um one of the things uh, another thing is like as you get into quantum um mechanics and all that and uh, we we try to understand the world around us you know uh, being entrepreneurs being like on the cutting edge it has some some things that you start to experience in your life which sort of relate to quantum mechanics and sort of yeah. start to make sense yeah so so uh, we we did touch upon that a little bit so why don't you share your views about that i would love for uh, the audience to listen to it spooky action at a distance you know yeah. like think here's the thing for me is not realizing how connected things can be like second and third layer consequences to decisions that you make. And you see that happening at the, the subatomic level. You know what I mean? They like 
subatomic particles act different when being observed than when they're not being observed. You know, you wouldn't necessarily make these kinds of connections directly because it kind of goes against what you're, you're, you would normally think it works like. But in reality, there's a lot of relationships and a lot of cascading effects through business that you don't necessarily see um, through, through relationships that you don't normally see. So I think that that interest in science has helped me in business as well. Mm -hmm. Um, books like Freakonomics and Super Freakonomics, the relationship between things like crime and abortion rates, like that, that would have never had those parallels. I would have never mm -hmm. thought that. So those kinds of things and, in the, the quantum world really opened up my eyes to how things really do affect each other in yeah. spooky, mysterious ways. You are listening to Bootstrapping Your Dream Show with Manu Jagarwal. Businesses face numerous challenges like finding the right product market fit, determining the market size, implementing a winning go-to-market strategy, crafting customer-centric USP, competitive analysis, looking for funding, building up cash flow and profitability. We have made a lot of free resources available to the entrepreneurial community, including this podcast. this podcast. We invite you to check out our websites and follow us on social channels. The links are in the show notes. We hope you find the resources useful and utilize them to grow your business. Grow your business. We also have some programs for entrepreneurs. If you find our content useful, then you will definitely find the programs outstanding so do check them out um, now another thing that i want to talk about is like how um coming back to the business side of things you know building a billion dollar bar brand it it is unheard of like you know you know there are uh, as you as you said like in in vegas there are large big brands um but never to this extent uh how what is your um uh, unique recipe for getting that success in a in an industry which is arguably a very old industry and uh, you know it's a, it's a, it's a tried and tested sort of uh, formula so how come you found something so unique uh, in this industry which has been around for thousands of years thousands of years this is how rome built their empire using yeah. taverns right. in fact back in the roman era they used to measure distance by how far the taverns were from each other, right? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. a tavern was a de facto hotel, restaurant, yeah, yeah. Um, a, a hospital. It was a recovery place. It was a resupply. It, they used it for so many different things back yeah, then. Yeah. But it was an empire builder, not only in Rome, but right here in the United States as mm -hmm. well. We did the exact same thing. One of the first three structures in every pop-up pioneer, um, early settler uh, city or township in the United States one of them was always a bar, always a tavern. And that's because it was also the courthouse. Sometimes it was even the jail. So this, this industry has been around for thousands of years and operated largely the same. It took Liliana Lovell looking at this industry that is operated with mainly male bartenders for thousands of years and flipping it a little bit on its head. She opened up the positions that were traditionally male-dominated roles and made a, a very diverse team. You know, we put women behind the bar. We we do it differently than other bars do. You know, we operate a lot differently. You know, dancing on the bar is not something <laughs> you see very often. So that combined with a real passion behind doing the business, you know, a dedication on a level like Lil's 
work ethic is unparalleled. We, uh, I, I have never seen anybody work that hard as, as I have our team with Coyote Ugly. And, and a lot of this was, especially in the early years, was accomplished with four people. You know what I mean? Mm. And we were all four operators. We were all came from, I came from a nightclub background in Vegas. Um, Kevin Bailey came from a nightclub, nightclub background in Atlanta. Lil came from um, dive bars in New York. She was also worked on Wall Street, but but her her restaurant hospitality background was was these dive bars. The Village Idiot was where she was working last before she opened Coyote Ugly. And she did everything from bartending to running these places. And at 24 years old, decided to open her own bar and change the whole industry. When that movie came out, I was running nightclubs in Vegas already. And all nightclubs and, and restaurants, they would have, if you look behind their bar, almost all guys, maybe one female bartender. And then you'd have female wait staff. After that movie, I would have to say within a year, I think it flipped. Now it was all female bartenders and one guy bartender. It completely changed the industry. And now that's the normal model that you see. You see that. And, and it took 2000 years and to have a woman CEO to kind of come up with this and mm-hmm. it changed everything. Yeah, that's, yeah that's a huge part of the ingredient that allowed us to accomplish what we did, you know? And the other thing is, is not leaving money on the table. You know what I mean? We are bar people. We make our money off of selling beer and shots, right? The reality is, is that's not where we stopped that. You know, we, we redid our merch program and in doing so I redid our website and then added this new function at the time, 20 years ago, which is blogging which now is like old hat. Now it's all yeah, podcast. Yeah. But back then it was blogging. And we and I put this thing called the Lil Spill into our website that allowed a, a vehicle for our CEO to explain how awesome she was and her philosophies on things. And 90% of it was yelling at, about me, to be honest with you, complaining about <laughs> me, about some of my crazy antics. But it allowed her to get that personality out there. And that's how the head of ABC became a a regular fan of her blog. And then we ended up with a reality show four years after the movie came about because of her putting out who she was on this blog. And that reality show was one of the most successful ones that MTV ever had at the time. Mm. Our pilot episode had 51 million viewers. Like, I will never forget this meeting. They brought us into this office in Nashville to the CMT offices. And that's big 51 million number was on this giant screen. And and at that time, I don't know where they're at now, but at that time it was break. It broke every record they ever had. So that gave me the opportunity then segue that spotlight into doing merchandise programs inside Target, Macy's, um, JCPenney's and a hundred other boutique retailers. You know what I mean? It afforded us this ability to do a licensing deal with our brand so we could make partnerships with other people in other industries. And we did. And they were very successful. Um, In addition to the franchising, which you would typically find in a hospitality setting. Mm -hmm. But we just looked at all these other opportunities and all this money we were leaving on the table and took it all. We we captured it. Nice, nice. I I think to, to sort of summarize the key points, what I got was like, I think diversity of thought and diversity of, you know, just uh, different sort of uh, people from different backgrounds, uh, different um, genders. I think that works in every industry. I mean, I I come from the technology industry and it has been primarily male dominated. But I believe that 
whenever I have worked with projects where women are involved or at least 50-50 ratio, it has gone much, much better. And I think um, what you said about just looking for those opportunities that people miss out and then putting your true personality out there, because that's one thing I also find that a lot of uh, people who want to be successful, they always sort of are afraid of showing themselves as their true self. But as you said, you know, even even uh, even yelling at you, what whatever that yeah. true self is, if you put it out there, people notice, and that authenticity plays uh, pays off um, in the end. Got to be authentic. Like people can tell now. Like they're more sophisticated than ever before. And, and to bring your point home, like there's a very big example of what not having a diverse team does for you. And it's the MGM casino in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. When I moved there, the MGM casino had a giant lion's head that you would walk through at the front end. They couldn't figure out why they weren't getting Asian gamblers coming through. Mm -hmm. And that's because they didn't have anyone on their team that could tell them. Hey, walking through the head of a line is bad luck in a lot of Asian cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They spent millions to completely change the facade of their building. And I've always, that always stuck in the back of my head, like always have a diverse team when you're doing anything, especially investing millions of dollars into a build out. Yeah. Diverse teams will save you. Um, diverse teams make better decisions and faster decisions. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So Harvard did a whole study on this. So yeah. they, they do come up with faster decisions and better decisions. Yeah. So so that's that brings up a very interesting point because, uh, you know, uh, being in the bar business, I believe, you know, other than knowing a lot about liquor and all that, you have a unique perspective on humanity itself, like the behavior of humanity, because it's, you know, we were just talking about like how we are not able to show our authentic self. But once you have like one or two drinks in you, you know, your true self comes out. So For sure. Filters uh, come off. Yeah, yeah. So uh, can you share with us any interesting stories or any observation you have noticed about human nature? That just like the example that you shared about, you know, uh, walking through a lion's uh, head, like what have you noticed uh, in, in your unique position of observing people when they are under the influence of, of uh, alcohol? Here's where like that, that was a question I wasn't expecting. And it, it's, you, there's a great answer for this. And for the last 20 years, I've been traveling the world. I've gone to 28 countries, 400 different cities worldwide. I had to do most of it by myself, right? Because I don't have a lot of friends that can just drop a hat, go spend two weeks in Japan doing yeah. market research, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I can I can be your You, you your can, friend. you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're opening in London, Piccadilly next. Yeah, so yeah. That'll be the next one. Um, but, but it afforded me the opportunity to go around the world and drink and socialize with people from so many different backgrounds. And in the end, we all kind of want the same thing. We all love to celebrate. We all love to socialize. We like having friends. We like making new friends and we like learning about each other. And, and that was the big, light bulb for me like in the end like we can say there's these borders and these different cultures and there are definite differences in cultures you know what i mean but in the end we're all we all really just looking for that connection and that's what i love about my industry is we facilitate these opportunities for people to celebrate those big wins their birthdays to celebrate a wedding in fact like i've been so many part of so many um 
people asking each other to marry them over the years. And, and I really am thankful for those opportunities because it's, it's something that's going to impact them for the rest of their lives. <laughs> and it's kind of what I really do this for. You know what I mean? It's to see those smiles at the end of the night and those, those people cheersing and, and toasting each other to their health. You know, toasts used to be called healths back in the day because <laughs> you were toasting to each other's healths. And, and I love being part of that story. I love being part of this 2000 year old story and doing it in the way that we do it. Amazing. And now, um, you know, during this journey, as you said, lots of ups and downs, lots of hurdles, but what are some of the key lessons you have learned? Maybe you made some mistakes or maybe, you know, uh, through series of events, you learned an important lesson that you can share with others who may not be like the audience uh, that we have, they are entrepreneurs, they are, you know, go-getters. They may not be in the bar business, but something that can be applied universally. Yeah, I mean, expanding like we did, like some locations turned out better than others. And some of them, you you on paper should have been a huge success. But because of circumstances completely out of your control, end up not not being the way you thought. So I think the biggest lesson I've learned is to constantly be aware that no matter how good my plan is, no matter how much my experience is, I could never have predicted in Milwaukee, for example, two weeks after we opened, that somebody on the street would get shot right in yeah. front of our location that mm. had nothing to do with our business, but it would never recover. This street would never recover from this incident. And I can tell you that other markets where there could be a shooting every week and it has no effect on business. And some of these things are just not in your control. So you want to do your best to try to hedge your bets as much as possible. But in the end, some of this universe working out the way that it does, yeah. it, you just can't always control everything. You know what I mean? And sometimes I've learned way more from the, from the losses, so to speak, than I ever have from the wins. Mm, that's very, very deep. Um, and so uh, continuing that theme of learning, like how, um, how did, like, did you have any mentors, any coaches, anybody who, who I mean, obviously it seems like you have a very good relationship with the CEO, the founder, yeah. um, but uh, like any other uh, incidents where, um, you know, you got a lot of value uh, or uh, right direction from your uh, mentors? I think that I, I am, a con I will be a perpetual student my whole life, right? So some of the things that I've learned over the years didn't necessarily come from a mentor, but maybe came from a book. I, I can attribute my deciding to go towards the Coyote Ugly thing to a very specific book, and it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that book didn't teach me anything about running a bar, nothing at all. But it did teach me about looking at money differently and looking at teams to accomplish goals, right? Like it's all about teams. Like I've I was a goalie for hockey and MMA is a very solitary sport. You have coaches and the guys you do train with, but in the end, you're in that ring by yourself. When you're a goalie, you're in that net by yourself. You look different than everybody else on that team. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very solo experience, but business in my, my understanding is not at all. You don't build businesses by yourself. You really mm -hmm. don't. It takes mm -hmm. a team, mm -hmm. whether that team is part of your company or part of a, a strategic partnership. It, it, you just need that team. And that's like the kinds of things I've taken away from a, something like a book or a Kenna Warner, who is like a back of house genius and a front of house genius for the, for the most part. Um, she 
she's taught me so much. So I've learned so much from people that I've learned from walk uh, over the years working with them. Mm. I've also learned from my worthy rivals, right? Like, mm. I believe in worthy rivals. I need someone to uh, that competition side of me, that sports guy inside. I need a worthy, worthy rival. My worthy rival for Coyote Ugly was the Hard Rock. Mm -hmm. Hard Rock Cafe did a great job with their branding. They did a great job with their expansion. And that was my worthy rival um, for my company, for what I was doing. And, and I find huge value in that, in addition to just the mentor relationships and yeah, the books yeah. that you can learn from. Yeah, that's that's a very good, uh, unique answer, like learning from rivals. Like a lot of people, obviously, you know, books and mentors are so valuable, but also learning from your rivals is is just a, such a amazing resource that people ignore uh, you know just yep. out of their own insecurity and yep. and uh, whatnot so that's great um well this has been such a great conversation i, I was really looking forward to it and uh, you know uh, uh how do people get in touch with you if they want to connect with you if they want to just you know linkedin just, uh, that, that would be the best one for sure um, awesome. find me on linkedin under lejean killingsworth um i think it's at lejean uh -huh. if i remember correctly all right, but, yeah. so we'll, we'll LinkedIn, find that yeah. and we'll add that link to the show notes. For sure. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Great topic of the day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in to Bootstrapping Your Dream. Bootstrapping Your Dream. We bring you life-changing insights about starting and growing your business, making your life and family happy. Given the fact that you listened to the whole episode, we know you are an awesome fan. awesome fan. So why not help us spread the message? Please share the podcast with others who can benefit from it. And if you are feeling extra generous, leave a review on iTunes or any other platform where you are listening to the podcast.